Psalm 19. Be turning in your Bible. Hopefully you've got a Bible. If you, if you didn't bring one and you don't have the app on your phone, there are some Bibles in the back you can grab. We'd love for you to have one. If you don't have one at home, you can take one home with you. Otherwise, we turn into Psalm 19. I'm not going to give much of an introduction this morning, just that C.S. Lewis, who was quite a wordsmith in his own right, said about this psalm that it is, he believes, the greatest poem in the Psalter, in all of the Psalms, and one of the greatest lyrics in the whole world. Coming from a guy like him, who where words were about his life, that's pretty high praise. I hope by the end of our time this morning that we're going to understand that to be true. Just how beautiful this psalm is. So let's dive right in. Let's read it, and then we'll have another word of prayer and ask God's blessing on his word. I'm reading in the ESV this morning. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, your words hold life. And I think about the value that I place on your words, and it's not near as highly as I should. Lord, maybe that's what you want to reveal to us from Psalm 19 today. Not in a way of of just inflicting guilt, Lord, but as an encouragement, as a warning, as the psalm says, that we should prioritize and value things maybe differently than we currently do. Lord, remind us today of the beauty of the sustaining word that comes from your mouth, that comes from you. Thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. So the first verse and the last verse of this psalm are probably the two most familiar verses in the whole thing to you guys. The first one starts in a way that's very familiar. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
The heavens declare it. Now, this, David and other psalmists and other Old Testament and New Testament authors, they talk about the heavens in different terms and in different ways. And this one is, is not so much like the heavens where God is necessarily as the heavens that you see when you look up at the sky. I don't suggest going out and looking up at the sky today because it is bright and you will get hurt. But when you look up at the sky, what do you see? Here, David is saying that we see something and we can't miss it. We're going to talk about it. The whole heavens, they declare something. To declare something means to say it, to speak it, to make sure everyone hears it. They proclaim something that he's true, that he's here, that he's creator. Look at verse 2. Every beautiful sunrise and every magnificent, awe-inspiring sunset. I mean, every lightning strike and every rain cloud, every full moon and every clear starry night, friends, is God pouring out his speech to you. This word, Pouring out is interesting. It has the idea of like a like a, a spring that just gushes out. Imagine that God, His revelation of Himself to us, is gushing out like a spring. It's pouring forth over and over. He is revealing Himself to His creation and in His creation, and He wants you to hear it. So I'm going to ask this question, a very simple question, several times today. Not Again, not to make you feel guilty, but just for introspection. God is speaking to us in a variety of ways that this psalm describes. Can you hear him? Are you listening? He wants you to take notice. He wants you to know him. Whenever God speaks, every word that he speaks is good and for your good because, as we talked about last week, because his faithful love endures how long? Forever. So every word that comes out of a good God is good. So when you look up at the sky, God is speaking to you. Hopefully this morning we learn to hear it. We learn to listen a little bit better. Verse 3 tells us that this message from God comes without the normal uh, vehicle of communication. Words, speech, voice. God is communicating His power, His sovereignty, and His love without the use of language, this says. It's as if all creation, from the dandelion with the little honeybee on it, to the tallest sycamore tree around, to the tallest mountain, all of creation is shouting and speaking and proclaiming about God, but they're not using words that we can hear. They're not using words that are audible to our ears. And this is hard for David to put in the words, I think, which which is sort of evident by the fact that in verse 2, he says, day to day pours out speech. But then in verse 3, he says, there is no speech. It's kind of like, uh, is David confused here? Well, I think what's going on is a little more common than we realize. You guys have heard of a thing called body language, right? 
if, if, you're, if you're a husband to a wife, you know a little bit about body language. If you're a, if you're a father to girls, you know it real well. You know body language really well. Right, Jason? Yeah, four girls. Okay. Without using any words, and that's not a slam, that's just, this is the truth. Okay, um, without using any words, we can fully communicate, and we can communicate full sentences, right? I'm not going to demonstrate, but you know this is true. Without saying a word, you know what the other person is thinking a lot of times, and, and you can be very descriptive about how you feel, the extent, the length of the time that it takes for your eyes to roll, right? The, the, the length of the sigh that you give. They're all very descriptive, and there might not be any words coming out of your mouth, but you're communicating a message to someone, and you intend for them to hear it. Now, God doesn't act this way. God doesn't use body language in that sense. He's a spirit, and he doesn't have a body like men in that way. But So body language doesn't necessarily apply to him, but he communicates with his creation in ways that we can't hear always in audible language nonetheless. Look at the first part of verse 4. He says their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. This continues the same idea of God speaking, not just with words, but just as clearly. Their voice, creation's voice goes out through all the earth, but no voice is used. Their words go out to the end of the world, but no words are really necessary. What an interesting and kind of unexpected revelation of God's communication with mankind, isn't it? That he wouldn't even need to use words. Now, if our spouse or our kids or we can communicate without words, certainly we should say God can too. God is doing this. But don't, I don't want us to turn this too inward this morning, because that's a temptation in this. What, what is this message of the wordless words and the voiceless voice that's being communicated through the sky? It's not a message about you or me. It's a message about God himself, isn't it? So God is not using nature to confirm how awesome you are. And in so, a lot of ways you are awesome, but that's not what he's communicating. He's communicating how awesome he is. Day and night, everywhere, in the whole world, God is speaking about God. He's speaking about himself. And this is precisely what we see in verse 1 when it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. They're revealing, his creation is revealing his nature, his character. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. So, what you think when you look up at the sky tells a lot about what you believe about God. When you see that beautiful cloud formation or that incredibly bright shining star at night, where does your mind immediately go? It's right to give thanks and praise for the blessings of these kinds of things. But does it go to me? Or does it go to the awesomeness of God? Creation does not exist, and I'm going to be real clear about this this morning. Creation does not exist for us to worship it. Romans chapter 1 is really clear about this. And in fact, I want to read 
together from Romans chapter 1. So put your bookmark in Psalm 19 and turn to Romans chapter 1, specifically verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So pause for a second right there. We know God is creator. God exists simply by looking at nature. You can know it. You stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you can know God exists. Let's continue on. Uh, go back to verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, they being everyone, we are without excuse For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We are not pantheists this morning or anytime as Christians. We don't believe that God is in that tree or in that chair you're sitting on. When we say God is everywhere, that's not what we mean. We believe that nature was created to reveal the truth about God. So it wasn't created to be worshipped. And when that happens, I believe Romans 1, among a lot of other things, is telling us that when we worship nature, when we worship even creature being people, when we worship anything other than God, truth is suppressed We exchange the truth of God for a lie. So lies take the place of truth. We know that God is then dishonored. People are given over to the lusts of their own heart, to their own demise. That's what happens when we fail to worship God instead of nature. The purpose of nature, to be as clear as I can be, the purpose of nature is to point us to Him, not away from Him. And you can talk to any number of people who claim to walk with Christ, who never darken the doorway of a church because they believe they can love God and obey God out in the field or alongside a stream with a fishing pole just as easily. And friends, it's just not true. We can't worship nature and say that we're worshiping God. God created those things. We don't love the ticket we, we want to go to the game. So the purpose of nature is to point us to God, not away from Him. Here's a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, Though all preachers on earth should grow silent, 
and every human mouth cease from publishing the glory of God, the heavens above will never cease to declare and proclaim his majesty and glory. They, unlike preachers, they are forever preaching. Like an unbroken chain, their message is delivered from day to day and from night to night. Where our lives end or where our preaching falls short, the preaching of creation constantly points us not to itself, not even to us, but back to God as creator. Now, you can scientifically explain why a sunset is the color that it is, but that doesn't really help you enjoy it anymore, does it? You can just look at these things and be impressed and you can hear God speaking if you're listening. Look at the end of verse 4 through verse 6. These verses, they announce that the message of nature and the words of the heavens is not just like this little cricket noise that you have to really turn your ear in to hear. They're announcing it loud and clear. Romans 1 makes it very clear the same way. It's not a a hidden thing. Like It is revealed so that all can see. God is real. He's there. Divine nature, attributes. And David is poetically describing in these verses the nighttime as a dwelling place or a tent or a tabernacle for the sun. And then in the morning, the sun busts out of the tent, goes across the heavens, where then it returns to its tent for the night. So in very poetic language, David is talking about the glory of God as seen just in the day-to-day life. The sun comes up, travels across, goes back. On the day of a bridegroom's, of a groom's wedding, when they come out of their tent to meet their bride, they're, they're going to be dressed usually in their best. A lot of times in, in Jewish culture back in the, the eastern Middle Eastern area, it was so hot they would wear white garments. You might even say bright and shining as the sun. And they would come out of that tent and they would bring joy to everyone because they were excited for the day. It was a monumental day for this guy. So just like that guy or just like the strong man who runs his race with joy is the sun that does exactly what God tells it to do day to day. And just as the sun, the light from it covers every area of the earth. There's not a place that it doesn't hit, so to speak. The wisdom and glory and knowledge of God is the same way. It filters out. It shakes down into every area. Are we hearing him? And the truth is, and Hebrews 4.13 confirms this, nothing is hidden from God. Now that statement, if you believe it to be true, can either cause some joy in your heart or it could cause some dread in your heart. That God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from Him. Romans, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 4.13 says this, No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Friends, there's beauty in creation. And God has given it to us for our joy and good pleasure in order to point us back to Him. So, my encouragement as far as this would go this morning would be enjoy it. Enjoy nature. Explore. 
Take hikes, go on camping trips, take in the beauty around you, but don't get confused about its purpose. Nature is not the end. Nature is a means to an end that God uses to point back to his glory, to his handiwork, to his workmanship. Enjoy it, but don't get lost in it. Don't lose sight of its purpose. Look at verses 7 through 10 of Psalm 19. This, it, it sort of seems like David changes gears here. But I don't, I don't really think that he does. It, and let me explain why. So even though we have access to this wonderful creation that we've just talked about, that David has just described as like an incredible thing, even though we have access to that, and even though it points us, obviously, back to a good creator, it's possible that we're not always impressed by it. There are days when you could witness the most incredible natural phenomenon you've ever seen and it just doesn't affect you very much at all. Like as much as you even know that it should. Have you ever been there? Ever been? It, it doesn't have to be a natural phenomenon. It could be something relational with someone and something should be affecting you in a certain way and it's not and you're thinking, what's happening? Why is this not connecting in the way that it should? Some days we just feel numb. Some days you know there's incredible blessings from the Lord right there, just as soon as you wake up, but it doesn't affect you like you know it should. It's still hard to get up out of bed and face the day. I think we know this from personal experience, but we can know it from the Word, from Scripture too. I mean, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Here's how we know this is true. If every day was perfect, we wouldn't need to be revived. We wouldn't need this description of what God's Word does for, the, for us. And this is the reality of life. This is something that every one of us experiences. We all have bad days. David had bad days. There are days when we, we think that God feels dif- distant, when the, the ones that we love seem like enemies and when joy is just fleeting when it seems gone altogether guys that's just that's real life at times we're vulnerable to temptation to conflict to hopelessness to rebellion and even to just forgetfulness about who god is what god has done the enemy would like nothing more than to steal our joy to steal the joy of our salvation, and then to stunt our faith. So what's the best defense against his onslaught onslaught of of attacks? These temptations. Is it watching less TV? Is it working less hours? Is it less extracurricular stuff? Is it less busyness in general? I don't... Probably. Maybe. But I think it's more than just eliminating harmful, potentially harmful things, because all those things aren't necessarily bad, but potentially harmful things. It's more than just getting rid of them. It's about replacing them with better things. This is the whole point of fasting as a Christian. This message is not about fasting, but that's the whole point of fasting, is replacing that physical meal with something spiritually better. David explains the better things in Psalm 19 
verses 7 through 11. The word of God is better. So not only does the created world outside look out the window, not only does the created world display the glory of God, but his word does too. And we need them both. We need the general revelation of who God is, and we need the specific revelation of God about himself in his word. If the beauty and intricacy and uh, just diversity of nature doesn't convince you of the existence of a loving and faithful creator, his word can. And it does. The words of God have an effect on us that's better than the effect of anything else we can watch or read or study or listen to. It's not as obvious as it was last week. Last week we looked at Psalm 136 and we repeated that phrase, his steadfast love endures forever like 26 times. Here there's a repetition that's a little more concealed. It's only six times, but it's in these verses. Look at them with me. Look at the way that Scripture is described. Six different ways. The law of the Lord the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and rules of the Lord. Notice the repetition of the Lord. These things are given by God. So the God who created the heavens and the earth by His own wisdom, the one and only true God, the God who continues to deliver His people from extinction, the God who blesses and whose love endures forever, this same God has spoken with a law, with commandments, with rules. And these words are contained in the whole of Scripture. Paul wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed, is inspired of Him, is God-inspired. So nothing else we could read or listen to or watch could ever come close to the effect that the Word of God has because it is from God Himself. This is why I consider this Psalm 19 a wisdom psalm. Guys, commentaries and Bible study books are helpful, and they have their place, but the Word of God trumps them all. Counselors care, and they help in lots of ways, but they're not wise like God. Pastors, we teach and we shepherd and we lead, but we aren't the good shepherd. We still fail. We still fall short. We still don't love like we should. Plain and simple, what God has to say to us as given in His Word is more useful than anything else that all this universe has to offer. We're more useful than any other word that you might hear someone with a microphone standing on a stage say. God's word is more useful and more important. Are you listening to it? Do you hear it? He's speaking us, speaking to us without words through his creation. He's taking another step by speaking to us with words that we can read and we can hear and listen to and meditate on. Look at the value that David places on his word. Look at verse 10. He estimates that the words of God are more valuable than at the time what was the most precious thing on earth. 
gold. And not just like you reach in your pocket and you got a little golden nugget. Like he says, not just gold, but much gold. Like a, like a chest, a treasure chest of gold. And not just like any old gold, but fine gold, pure gold, like the best of the best, a treasure chest of the best of the best. And he's saying, if you have the choice between the words of God and a treasure chest of the best gold in the world, don't even hesitate. The word of God is more valuable. The words of God are more important. So here's Here's the point of the sermon where I'm going to get in your business. Okay? No one laughed or looked at me like they were going to kill me, so I'll continue. Um, I'm going to get up in my own business too because if we scroll through the stock report or the sports page or our Facebook feed, when we roll out of bed in the morning, before we hear from God... I'm afraid our priorities might be a little out of whack. And that's as convicting to me as it is to you. Some of my kids are currently learning how to count money, right? So in that discussion and in that teaching, we have to talk about value. Those of you who have young kids, if you spread out 10 pennies and a dime and ask them which they would rather have, what do they usually choose? Ten pennies. Because they don't understand the value of money. You could even, and some older kids end up tricking their younger kids, not that ours ever did this with their Easter money this year, but uh, I'll trade you these five pennies for those two dimes. So you get more See, we have to teach them what to really value. And we laugh about it, and it's funny, but if you don't understand that and you get older and you don't understand how to value things properly, your life gets really out of whack. Your life gets really set on a wrong place. And so I think we need to let David parent us a little bit this morning through the Spirit, help us to understand God's Word is more valuable than anything we're going to find in our stock portfolio or on the sports page and almost certainly more than what you'll find in your Facebook feed. God's Word is more valuable than any of those things. Now, here's something interesting about these verses that struck me this week. Uh, what? Look at verse 10 again. So we talked about gold, and he mentions honey. Now, I'm a novice beekeeper, and... Uh, last year we were able to harvest some honey and it is awesome. You can use honey for anything, almost anything. Uh, I, I would know if I'd go putting it in your open wounds or like in an eye, in your eye for some problem, but, uh, it's great. I mean, you can put it in your coffee, your tea, your hot chocolate, on your ice cream, on a peanut butter sandwich. I mean, you can do just about anything with honey. It is awesome and I love it. David talks about gold and honey, and it just made me think, what are the two things that most of us worry about or spend the most time on? I would say finances and health. Finances and health. Gold 
And honey are mentioned here in verse 10. Gold has definite benefits to finances, and honey actually has benefits to health. The things that are most important to so many of us are actually far less important than the Word of God. Whether that be your finances or your health. Now, I'm not saying that you be irresponsible with your money or that you not care about your health, but it's an idea of valuing things properly. Now, we don't like to admit this, but I think it's true. I mean, think about, think about work. Think about the last eight to 10 hour or 12 hour, whatever kind of shift you work. Think about your last day of work. When was the last day of work that revived your soul? Does, does going, do you go to work for your soul to be revived? Now, if you do, stay with that job. Don't leave that job. <laughs> most of you, most of us aren't going to a job where our soul is just revived after eight hours. When was the last time that your workout routine made you wise? Or enlightened your eyes. Now, again, don't hear me wrong. Work is a gift from the Lord, right? That was the first thing he gave Adam and Eve to do in the garden was to care for it. So work is a good thing. It's a blessing of God. And we should absolutely take care of our, bo- our physical bodies in this life. But you know what? In our humanness, we often take these things too far and we get the balance of them all wrong. And we need to be reminded of what has the most value in this life. The words of God. And this is the way that we are warned. Look at verse 11. He, he says this. This is how your servant is warned. Scripture is good to warn us of making our lives all about lesser things. It's good to stop us in our tracks and say, hold on a minute. What you're valuing is out of balance and out of whack. Now, maybe the Lord has done that for us this morning in teaching us to value things properly. David says, in doing this, in in keeping these things, these warnings, these words of the Lord, there is great reward. There's great reward. That chest of awesome gold can't even hold a candle to the reward of valuing the Word of God as we ought to. Not great reward in, in gold but in the ways that matter for a joy-filled life. And I think he goes into how that breaks down in the next couple of verses. I think he talks about a clear conscience, a repentant heart, and a humble spirit. Look at verses 12 through 13 with me. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Now, sometimes we know we've messed up. And when I say messed up, I mean we've sinned. We've broken God's commands. We, sometimes we know we've done it, but we rarely acknowledge the depth of our, of our brokenness, of our sin. And the word of God leads us to recognize our errors and shows us the path of reconciliation to a clear conscience with the Lord. He says, who can discern his errors? He's not saying, I have no errors. He's just saying, Lord, I I don't know the depth of my sin. I don't know the depth of my errors. I can't discern these things. Reveal them to me. Declare me innocent from hidden faults, he says next. 
Sometimes we don't only know that we've sinned, but we then try to hide it. Surely you guys understand this concept. I understand this well. We've got, we've got young kids, and more than one of them we've found in, in the pantry with the door closed and the light off. And guess what they're doing? They're not eating lettuce in there. They're, they've found the candy. We try to hide the wrong things that we do. Well, the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance, to a repentant heart, and His Word leads us to know how to be forgiven of such sin. And David is clear here. He's saying, Lord, declare me innocent from my hidden faults, the ones that I'm pushing aside that I don't want you to see. Forgive me. Declare me innocent of those things. But then there are times, as he talks about in verse 12, when we are presumptuous, and this word means basically you know it and you don't care. You're fully aware of what you're doing. There are times when we are presumptuous and we refuse to admit our sin and we are full of pride. I bet you've experienced all of these. You acknowledge your sin. Yeah, it's there, but it's, you don't acknowledge the depth of it. And then sometimes you do, and, but then you try to hide it. And then sometimes you just, you know it's all there and you just, you don't seem to care. How many people are then dominated by this mindset? Look at the end of verse 13. He says, let them not have dominion over me. There's a danger here. There's a warning here that David is trying to communicate. God through David is trying to communicate. We can be dominated and controlled by pride if he doesn't deliver us from it. We need to be humbled by the Lord. And then and only then might we be found blameless before him. This is the great reward of knowing and keeping his commandments his word, his statutes, his law. Here it is. A right relationship with the all-powerful God who communicates with us still. Look at verse 14 as we close and wrap it up. This is how a thoroughly sinful person, and that's a description of me and you, this is how we can call the one true God our rock and our redeemer only by having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is our desire as believers, right? We want the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts to be acceptable and pleasing to the God who saves us and loves us. But if we're really honest, I know I'm not alone in this today. If we're really honest there are probably more times than not that our mouths and our minds aren't acceptable to God. It might be our desire, but it's not often our reality. And here's where we see the goodness and the faithfulness of God all over again. Friends, he's speaking to us without words through his creation. He's then speaking us, he's taking another step, and he's speaking to us with words that were given through faithful men who he inspired to write down Scripture, but he's going another step, and he's speaking to us through his Son. And if we're listening to this word from God, then we know that that word about his Son has come at just the right time. At just the perfect time, Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By His wounds we are healed. Your heart will fail and your mouth will run you into sin. But God is speaking repentance and forgiveness and grace to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Are you listening to what He's saying? No longer do we have to be strangers who are far off from God, far off from the Father, but by the blood of Christ, we can be brought near, folded into the family. Now, it's right to ask God to make our minds and our mouths acceptable. And it's right to evaluate things in our lives that are taking us further away from God. But let me give you a guess on how our mouths and our minds might ever be more acceptable to God. By cherishing His Word. Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, we have to cherish His Word. We have to value it appropriately above everything else. If we can know the glory of God just by looking at the sky, the heavens declare it, if we can know it, how much more should we see it in the revelation of His Son? Through His Word. Are we listening? Christian, do we cherish His Word? Those without Christ, you must realize that a joy-filled life only comes from a right relationship with God. One that is joined and reconciled through Jesus Christ His Son and nothing is more valuable than that than the relationship that we have through His Word and through His Son. Christian, if God has saved you, cherish His Word. If God has saved you, reorient your life to make it a priority. In doing so, David says, there is great reward. Let's pray. Lord, our rock and our Redeemer, we only can say that because of your grace. We only say that you love us, that you have given Christ to us because of your grace. And so, Lord, I, this has been one of the more difficult and convicting messages for me to give because, Lord, I am preaching right to myself in all of this. Lord, help us as your people, to value things properly above all else. So, so maybe, Lord, that just means keeping a Bible on our nightstand instead of our phone. Lord, I, I don't know, but help us to understand how to value your word correctly. Teach it to me. We want to cherish your word. Lord, in doing so is great reward. Lord, I, I pray that there are many, in fact, all, who are here this morning that can call you their rock and their redeemer. But the reality is that's probably not the case. There are probably those here without Christ. And Lord, for those, I pray that you would impress on their hearts this morning their need for you. By your grace and your kindness, Lord, repent, give, grant them repentance, Lord, so that they might be humbled and turn to you and live their lives for you. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his atoning death his resurrection. Lord, and now the, the life that he lives interceding for us to you on our behalf. May we never grow tired.
tired of hearing that. And Lord, when we look out at the starlit sky tonight, when we see a beautiful sunset, Lord, may our hearts and our minds not run to how beautiful it is, but to how awesome you are. Thank you for speaking to us. Help us to hear you this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen.